season edition of Behind the Plate with Marin and Nate and alongside Marin Angus Combs, the softball writer for Hale Varsity. I'm Nate Rohr, the play-by-play voice of Nebraska softball. We're talking to you after the release of the NCAA softball bracket. A lot to get into about that. We also uh, have a very thrilling Big Ten tournament to chat about, and we'll do that with the BTN's uh, analyst Sammy Netling, and we'll do that here in just a moment. We'll also chat Omaha, the Mavericks, uh, qualify for the NCAA softball tournament for the first time as a Division I school. Jen Darrow, their assistant coach, will join us to discuss that thrilling run by the Summit League Tournament champions. And also Chris Kuhlmeyer, the head coach of UMBC. His retrievers are the number four seed in the Stillwater Regional the regional that will be containing the Huskers. But, uh, Marin, just a thought or two about the Big Ten tournament and what you saw from the bracket that was uh, just announced before we bring on Sammy. Yeah, the Big Ten tournament, I thought, was one of the most exciting conference tournaments. Of, I mean, every game was a one-run game. Mm-hmm. And just, it, I mean, up until the end, right? And yeah. so I just thought there was a surprise, right? Illinois winning their first game. Mm -hmm. Huge surprise. And I was super pumped for them. Uh, But it ended up playing out, I think, how we all thought it would play out. So Yeah, it's uh, funny. (laughs) It it was such a close tournament. Um, You you had four of the first six games decided by walk-offs. The the, uh, quarterfinal day was decided by a total of five runs. Four games, five runs. the Indiana-Minnesota semifinal was a two-run game. Of course, Nebraska blown out by Northwestern in the other semifinal, and then a walk-off victory for Northwestern in the conference final. Here to discuss the tournament and then the big tournament is Sammy Nettling, the former Northwestern uh, Wildcat and now the analyst for softball on BTN and uh, Sammy, you were watching the uh, Big Ten tournament closely. What was your reaction and your takeaway to uh, a tournament that was really hotly contested throughout? Yeah, appreciate you both having me on again. This is always fun. Um, but yeah, I think Marin said it right. What an exciting tournament! Um, I really felt like it was indicative in a lot of ways of kind of where seeing some of these programs really evolved, right? I think of an Iowa upsetting Maryland in the first round, right? Back in the tournament again for the first time since since 2019. I think of an Indiana Hoosier team that was a 10 seed in our conference last year and they went toe-to-toe with our with our now two-way um, champion Northwestern Wildcats. It was great to see the Gophers again at, at top of the, the conference standings, the Huskers as well. So I, I thought it was just it was just a lot of fun. I think you can see firsthand the parody, the competition that we have kind of across the board. Um, certainly, certainly exciting. We kind of got a little bit of everything. Some some big defensive web, some towering home runs, some phenomenal performances in the circle. So um, I just thought it was it was a great way to kick off postseason for for the Big Ten, uh, the the Big Ten faithful. The Big Ten, we love it. Obviously, we talk about it as our job. But let's flip the page now and talk about this NCAA tournament because I think the Big Ten was lacking some love for the committee. And I, for the life of me, can't understand why. So (laughs) 
Sammy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that uh, the selection show was definitely interesting. Mayhem in its truest form, I would say. Um, I think, you know, I always try to like take a step back. Like you said, Marin, like we, we, this is our conference that we cover, right? What are, what is everyone else saying? You know, the Pac-12 was, was unhappy because Stanford wasn't in the top eight. Um, I think the SEC was just as fine as ever with Bama getting <laughs> arguably the 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 most shocking um, bid of, of any that came out. Um, you know, to see the ACC get some of their newcomers to get Duke in the in the top eight and to Clemson kind of sneak in with the last sixteen seed. I think they were pretty happy, but yeah, it it always is kind of shaded based on what conference you cover but i i do think um i i was i was pretty shocked i have to admit to see northwestern fall as far as they did just thinking of you know if any other power five two eight champion had dropped even out of the top eight i think we would have been hearing it more on the national stage like i i was shocked it was hardly even mentioned on the national broadcast um just with with so many bracketologists projecting them as a lock in the top eight and even after you get out of the top eight okay then they're going to be a, a nine ten right it's going to be a heartbreaker like last year where they're one out of the the top eight um and i think that was just kind of the tip of the iceberg for where we kind of saw the rest of the the big 10 teams fall obviously indiana uh, nebraska was, was not really surprised with with where they were slotted in their regional sites just from geography but I was shocked that Nebraska was named a last four in. That was that was a that was a big blow for me. Um, and then to just know that Penn State was was last four out, right? Um, and I know Ohio State, Maryland, and Michigan were were kind of in that discussion. I actually thought Ohio State had had the upper hand on Penn State, just looking at their non-conference strength of schedule, their their head-to-head. They swept Penn State in the doubleheader, right? So. I was I was really um I was pretty bummed, I'm not gonna lie. And I think it's it's gotta be a wake up call for big, big ten coaches to say, Okay, what is the what is the conference or what does the selection committee care about? They care about non conference, top twenty five and top ten wins. And that's it, it seemed like. Um, so I I think the more we can go out and schedule games in the top seventy five RPI, like it it has to be at this point like a prerequisite, a non-negotiable, um, going out and and continuing to get invites to Clearwater and Cathedral City, et cetera, is obviously a huge thing. That's the, the other thing that I don't think a lot of people realize, right? When they say, go out and play the best of the best. Well, those tournaments are exclusive. Those are typically invite-only type of tournaments, right? So, I don't know, it just seems to be a double-edged sword at times. Um, but I'm excited to see Minnesota and Northwestern getting getting bids for Clearwater next year. I think that's a huge opportunity for them to to kick off the 2024 season. There was talk that, you know, the Indiana wasn't obviously a surprise where they got where they got slotted, but I there was a lot of buzz around that 0 and 5 that the Hoosiers put up in Clearwater and it's like how how does that have so much weight on on you know their entire season when we're when we're trying to look at a body of work? So um, I don't know. It it was definitely interesting. Seems you at the selection committee of of kind of just where their focus is each year. I think um, I appreciate their their transparency and their visibility. We don't always get that after a selection show. We certainly have it in years past with with some you know controversial seatings, but. 
um yeah i think it's just a learning lesson all all around and and the biggest thing that the big 10 teams can do is to go show out now the teams that did make the postseason right northwestern go out and prove that you should you should have been a top eight seed you know indiana nebraska minnesota go out and make it freaking tough and and upset some people on the national stage that you're now going to be given that that's how we start to you know get more and more people on this on this big 10 bandwagon because clearly clearly there's not a lot of there's not as many people as we thought Chatting with Sammy Nutling, a BTN analyst uh, for softball and a former Northwestern Wildcat. I want to talk specifically about your alma mater. Uh, Northwestern has a non-conference RPI of 13, and I would think it would be even higher than that uh, if they didn't play, say, DePaul, for instance. A a couple of those local non-conference games that make a lot of sense that you really ought to play as a, as a softball program, but uh, you know clearly with the situation that surrounds Big Ten softball, uh, to assemble a top eight national seed case, you almost can't do it. So I, I guess my question to you would be, what else can Northwestern do? Because I think they scheduled uh, Northwestern typically schedules a very tough non conference. They scheduled even tougher this year, and they had their ups and downs in it, but then they came through that with a decent record, and then they dominated the Big Ten Conference. So what else can the Cats do to be a number eight national seed? Yeah, and I think it it you hate to just circle one game, right? Because, again, it is supposed to be a full body of work, but I do think if they if the scoreboard is – flipped on just one of those Oklahoma or UCLA games or even the Clemson game, this is a different story if I mind, right? If, if they're truly waiting top 10 wins. But even I, I look at what they did last year, right, to earn a nine seed. They Okay, they beat UCLA for sure. They beat Oregon. Played a significantly tougher non-conference schedule this year. They got blown out by the Sooners last year. They took the number one seed two to one, right? They took UCLA two to one. I know they got blown out by Clemson. They came back and played three to two the next day. They took two from Auburn. They they beat Kentucky. Like I agree with you. I, I think it's really tough, and I it it makes it almost makes it where you have to be perfect in conference, right? Like oh, not that I mean Iowa is a is a is a a great RPI this year, right? But but you don't sweep Iowa, right? Even a Michigan series that that like everyone was counting on. Michigan being a, a big series pickup, right? It did not have the same weight this year as it has previously. Um, and it does make it significantly harder, I think, when you look at the way that an SEC interconference games are weighted versus interconference Big Ten games, right? They they aren't weighted the same. Like, that's a problem that we need to go out and try to fix. And we do that based on how we show out in non-conference play, how they show out this year, right, in NCAAs, where now we get to be on the national stage. And I do think it it's unfortunate that it is going to cause coaches to look at those those midweek, you know, um, mid-major games against teams with a lower RPI, right? It's th- those, those are becoming, you know, big, you know, local rivalries, right? And if, if you're playing against a team that's in that's not in the top 
100 RPI, like that is a huge blow right now to to your resume. Um, even, you know, Northwestern, one of their mid midweeks is always Notre Dame. That win didn't have, or, and they played Notre Dame in the ACC Challenge this year, actually. But even that, if they had played them in a midweek, would not have had the same weight that it does previously. And so some of that is also just out of your hand based on how those teams end up, you know, coming to fruition, right? We saw it with Minnesota in 2017. Alistair went out and scheduled a, a tough non-conference schedule. Not her fault that those teams didn't play up to the the standard of excellence that, that we're used to, right? And so there's only so much when you're going off of the previous year's, you know, product of play to try to schedule certain teams in, in the current year, right? There's only so much in your control, but um, yeah, it's it's tough. Um, I, I hope that it's a bit of a wake-up call for the coaches to kind of get together and, and really go at this in unison, right? Because it, it's affecting everyone. It's affecting, you know, not just Northwestern dropping to 12, but it's affecting an, an Ohio State and a Penn State not getting in. It's affecting Nebraska being a, a last four in. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's it's across the board right now. It's interesting to look at the bracket as I have it right in front of me, but knowing that Northwestern as a 12 seed is matched up with Alabama at a five. Okay. Alabama, I think that was the one, like you said, all of our jaws probably hit the floor as soon as as soon as Alabama was announced as the five seed. But it sets up an interesting take because busing out the window, right? That's like the one thing that we've all come to learn when it when it comes to this tournament is that busing is a huge thing, right? If you're within 400 miles, they're sending you on a bus to wherever it is, no matter what. Central Arkansas is the two seed in Alabama while Arkansas has made the tournament and is hosting. So they're setting up, it looks like it, I'm totally into this whole conspiracy theory, right? Of like setting up storylines. But if Alabama truly is without Montana Fouts, they're setting up Central Arkansas for a potential super, but it would, I mean, it would be at Northwestern, right? I don't it know. would be at. It would be at Northwestern because Central Arkansas is ineligible to host this year because they have a, a full turf field. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, and you, you never I applaud the the committee for sticking to their guns of, hey, we're still going to honor Alabama and the body of work that they put out there this year, despite a Fouts injury. But like you honor them with the 12 seat. That, like that's where everyone was yeah. was was thinking they were going to be slotted. Right, you literally yeah. flipped the five twelve. Everyone would have been like, "This is as expected." Um, sure. So I'm, I, I think, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I, I love how many mid majors are are you know in the conversation now, not just for for them to historically your only shot into the field of sixty four is to win your tournament, right? Is to win your conference, and now that we're we're seeing we're just seeing the pair, you know, even outside of the power five, and I think that that's huge. I love the Central Arkansas story this year, um, but you're seeing that at the expense of Big Ten teams and no other Power Five teams. So that's that's uh, it's it's a little bit of a heartbreaker for me um, as a Big Ten fan, the Big Ten faithful. But yeah, I, it's going to be really interesting. I think you know, Fouts is is huge, right? It is equivalent to a Danielle Williams is equivalent to an autumn piece, right? In terms of just the magnitude of the workload and, and just the, 
the confidence that they play with when that individual is on the field um, and you hope that she's okay and she's able to have a, a long and fruitful, full, you know, professional career. Um, but if they were to get upset, like I, I think my biggest concern is that Northwestern doesn't get too ahead of themselves. I hope they channel this frustration and this anger and this chip on their shoulder like they've had for so long in the right way. And they go out and they, they show out in regionals and they take care of business and they are still able to host a super like, that would be obviously best case scenario, um, but it's it's going to be interesting. I think Central Arkansas is an interesting case for a potential upset. I think you know an Auburn going to a Clemson is a potential interesting case for an upset. Louisiana Lafayette felt like they were kind of snubbed from a host bid. Like we've got a lot of a lot of frustrated, a lot of teams that are going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder, um, and that's what you want, right? You want there to be this competitive edge of of you know, we're, we're here, we're here to prove something this postseason. You know, we've talked about this Tuscaloosa uh, Evanston regional and the fact that Central Arkansas is the two seed in Bama's regional. On one hand, I like the fact that the committee is almost in a way punishing Alabama for an up and down regular season and also the possible absence of Montana Fouts. But on the other hand, I'm confused by the message it sends because, I mean, by all rights in terms of how you set up a bracket, Central Arkansas should be going to 16, 15, 14, you know, somewhere in there. By by just seeding, it would have made more sense for them to go to Arkansas unless you're telling us Alabama is, as you guys were saying, the 12 seed or whatever. I want to get into Northwestern's draw a little bit because as you look at who they're matched up with in a regional, uh, we, we've talked quite a bit about the bad news that the committee handed uh, the Wildcats in for good reason, but I feel like Northwestern's draw for their regional is pretty favorable. How do you see it? Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, in, in a lot of the projections, they were expected to get not only an SEC team in Kentucky, but also a, a solid ACC team in Louisville. So to see Louisville get off the board quickly and, and go to the Knoxville Regional, I was pumped for the Wildcats. Um, and I think, you know, don't get me wrong, Miami of Ohio, I think they've got like 90-plus home runs on the year, and the J is a small field. But I, I do like their chances. Um, again, I think when you look at postseason, you're, you're always looking for – a mental edge wherever you can get it right for a wildcat team to see a, a blue wildcat team a kentucky that they've already played this year and and beaten right i take that as a mental edge right even even talking about nebraska and and in their regional with two teams that they've already played regardless of the outcome like that breeds momentum that breeds you know a, an area of familiarity where you're like hey we can we can go toe-to-toe with these guys so um yeah i i agree with you i think there was even talk of of you know potentially a Northern Kentucky getting slotted in the Evanston Regional. So I think if you look at overall, um, it's a it's a very favorable path to Oklahoma City. Again, you never want to get ahead of yourself. The first game in a regional is the most important. You just do not want to get into the losers bracket early. So again, I think the Cats love to play at home, right? They've they've won. 20 some straight at this point going back to last year the, the Jays going to be packed I think if you're 
you're a Big Ten softball fan in the Chicagoland area, it's going to be a great opportunity to see some some great games, right? Miami, Kentucky, Eastern Illinois, those are those are all great teams. Um, but yeah, I I do think it's a it's a more favorable regional with them being a lower seed than I was expecting when they were projected top eight. I've got one thing I want to hit on really quick, and Sam, you mentioned it. Central Arkansas has a full turf field. Mm-hmm. So that means they cannot host, even even if they were deserving of a host, right? Mm-hmm. We're seeing more and more programs move towards turf because of weather, because of, I mean, just when the season is, look at the Big Ten, right? Nebraska now has a turf outfield. Right. Right? So if this is the case... I'm Omaha, full turf field, right down, sure. right down the road from us, right? So if this is the case that where softball programs are moving towards turf so they can play their home games, and especially look at the Big Ten and the weather that we have during softball season, do you think the NCAA is going to have to look at this piece of legislation that they have and, and kind of change it? That's a it's a good question. I think there's a lot of pieces at play. I think with the Central Arkansas piece in particular, I think there was also some facilities that just from a hosting standpoint, like from attendance perspective, but I think you bring up a good point with specifically the turf field, right? And and you hate to say it, but I feel like until a power five school goes to a full turf field, it will continue to exist in the guidelines the way that it has until there is a serious push from the top right um and so i i think the more that people can get on board with it of of you know it saves us it saves us time it saves us the ability to play in in better conditions to practice in better conditions because we can still be outside you know all of the all of the, the reasons why you have um turf fields i i think there's a case for it but i i do think there's also a case for there still being consistency in terms of a playing service to crop from the time that the tournament started to the time in Oklahoma City. And Oklahoma City is natural dirt, natural grass environment. So I don't know. It, it's really interesting, I think, especially when you look at just the international circuit. Turf is is almost the um the like the, the first go now, um, especially outside of the United States in terms of playing services. Um but I don't know. I I, I definitely think it's something that again, the more and more teams that have those type of playing services are in the conversation to host it is going to become a bigger and bigger ordeal if you will and I think it's either going to be one or the other is going to bend right either the institutions are going to revert back to natural playing surfaces and changing their facilities to accommodate for the NCAA or the NCAA again I, I feel like is only going to accommodate for the institutions if it is certain institutions from certain conferences that are doing it right i mean you look at a duke that was was um they were a top 16 seed what was that 21 but they were ineligible to host because of their abilities at the time so georgia as the two seed in that regional actually got to host even though duke was the one seed um and duke changed right Duke alter for the sake of ncaa so, um, yeah, I think it's an interesting conversation. I think it's something that hasn't come up historically. Um, Central Arkansas, I think, is is a is a perfect opportunity to start having those discussions, and it'll be interesting kind of where where things fall. 
Lots to discuss about the NCAA tournament, and we could certainly go at it for for an hour just with you, but uh, we we have a a loaded show today, and we appreciate you taking some time to wrap up a great Big Ten tournament and uh, take a peek at the bracket and uh, enjoy the mayhem that's about to, to unfold, Sammy. Thank you both. Appreciate it. Sammy Nutling of the Big Ten Network, and we appreciate her coming on, and uh, before we go any farther, I want to uh, say thank you to Anna uh, Bellhausen, who pinch hit for me last week. I was on the road with Husker Softball and wasn't able to participate. So, Anna, thank you for uh, filling my spot. Well, we go from Big Ten Softball to Summit League Softball and the Summit League Tournament Champions, the Omaha Mavericks. UNO had a decorated history in Division II, won the national championship uh, in 2000 in Division II, but had not yet broken through to make it to the NCAA tournament in Division I. And that ends now as they win the Summit Lake Championship, capturing it with a 1-0 win over the SDSU uh, Jackrabbits. And we're chatting with Jen Darrow, their assistant coach, and uh, Jen had to be thrilling that they, the whole Sunday from uh, restarting the final uh, after it was stopped due to weather the day before to winning to riding on the bus and seeing Omaha pop up on the screen. What were your emotions and sort of the emotions of the team uh, as as you guys went through a very historic day for Maverick softball? Yeah, it was kind of a whirlwind, honestly. I mean, going from originally planning on playing Saturday to all of a sudden now we're playing on Sunday, get up in the morning on Sunday and, hey, we're delayed, we're delayed, we're delayed, and finally get an opportunity to play and just kind of going out and watching our defense do their thing. I mean, winning the game one to nothing was a lot on pitching and a lot on defense, and that's kind of what we've been relying on all season. And just to kind of see it come to fruition was a pretty amazing experience. And you know, a bus ride home and seeing your name on the bus probably isn't the most ideal way to hear your name called, but I think it just kind of speaks to maybe a little bit of the adversity that we went through uh, throughout the week to go and win that championship. But no matter what, how you get your name called is is an amazing experience in itself, whether you're on a bus or at a restaurant or at the field. So it was pretty neat. So the game started on Saturday, right? And then you have your the one run was walked in as the rain is pouring down. How do you, what do you talk to the team about when that game gets halted, right? And you guys decide, um, you guys decide to move the rest of the game to Sunday. How does that conversation go down? And then as coaches, how do you have to reset? Like, okay, we're going to start this game in the first inning with the bases loaded mm-hmm. and we've got to hang on. Yeah, I think the conversation once we knew the games were going to get moved or resumed on Sunday was we have had so much energy for the last however many days we've been here, the last two or three games. And um, whatever we need to do to channel that energy back on Sunday morning um, is what we kind of were focusing on. And um, bases loaded, one out, we're up one to nothing. And we had um, Ava Rong who shoved to bat and just kind of you know, trying to keep the pressure off of her and just, you know, basically you're a leadoff hitter and just kind of had that conversation with her. And then that was it. Just, hey, here's the situation, but let's just go get after it. And it's just another at bat because you don't want to put too much pressure on that situation. And um, 
yeah, I mean, it was just basically our focus was keeping the energy that we had all weekend because that was probably our biggest proponent was being mm-hmm. energetic and as loud as we could be. Great weekend for your program, and, and it's capped by beating South Dakota State. When you played the Jackrabbits uh, earlier in the regular season, you lose three one-run games, two of them in extra innings. One was a 14-inning game. Obviously, it's gratifying It's gratifying to get to the NCAA tournament no matter what against whomever. But to do it against a South Dakota State team that broke your heart three straight games like that, that only had to add to, to it for you guys, didn't it? Yeah, and I mean, to go out and do it in a one-run game again, right? I mean, yeah. I think that kind of speaks. South Dakota State's a really solid team, obviously. I mean, they've been to the NCAA tournament a couple times, and um, they were undefeated all-conference. And to be able to lock in and get a one-run game against them was pretty special and, you know, all three games that we played them in the regular season, our pitching and our defense were outstanding. And again, they were on Sunday. And so just to kind of come out and just find a way to scrape one run against a solid pitcher in Tory was was pretty special. You mentioned Tory. When we talk about your conference going into the season, I think all eyes are on Tori Kanishi, right? Mm-hmm. She's she's a top one hundred player in ever on either ranking that you look at. But Omaha has a hidden gem that nobody was talking about. <laughs> and I think now everyone knows the name Cameron Meyer. Yep. Can you just elaborate on her? Her performance in the in during the season. I mean, she set a new she set records at UNO this year. She set records for her career. Eleven strikeouts in the championship game. Just talk about her as a player and just how special she really is. I, wow, I don't even know where to start. Cam is the definition of a workhorse. She um, she knows what she has to do to be really good, and she's been able to do that all season. Um, she just comes in, and she wants the ball in her hand, which I think obviously is something you really need in a pitcher, but she wants to be there in the big moments and um, just do whatever it needs to take to do it for her team. And she's so humble, too. And when you talk to her about, oh, Cam, you know, you broke this record or you did this, and, um, you know, we call her goat, we call her queen and all that. But um, at the end of the day, it's because we see the work that she's put in to get to that point. And I think that's kind of what's helped our team um, rally behind her is because they see the work she's put in to be in those moments and to succeed in those moments. Chatting with the Omaha, <clears throat> excuse me, chatting with Omaha, so they had, talking about her working hard that shook me <laughs> up. The emotional journey. Yeah. Certainly Cameron Meyer has had uh, a great year and a great career for you as we chat with Jen Darrow, the uh, assistant coach of Omaha Mavericks softball, UNO heading down to the Baton Rouge Regional. And the fact that you guys have finally broken through and have qualified for regional, how does this change the trajectory of your program moving forward? Obviously, Big challenge this weekend in a regional, but just the fact that you can go out there and say, we have been to NCAA play. What? How does this change the MAV program in the long view? Yeah, I think um, it just puts our name on the map, right? I think being one of the 64 teams that gets to continue playing this week, um, you know, people are going to see us on TV. They're going to be seeing the energy that we play with. And, um, you know, I know people are kind of starting to talk a little bit about Cameron, and I think it's going to help with Cameron being one of the top pitchers in the country. 
now we're in that field of 64, we're being able to be on ESPN and play in front of crowds. I think it's just going to put people starting to recognize our program and then our university. And I think from there, you know, people are going to see this beautiful field that we play at home every year or every game and um, kind of do a little bit more research. You know, Omaha is a great city in itself. We have, you know, we get to host the Men's College World Series every year, which is a neat experience. And so I think it's just kind of, you know, putting our name out there a little bit more than what has been out there. For you personally, you and Coach Hurd, this is your second year at Omaha. Just how crazy is it to think, like, last year, your first year, you come in, you make it to the championship game of the tournament, and you miss out. But now in your second year, you've made it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was very surreal. Um, I don't think either one of us had thought that maybe we would be making it this soon. Um, obviously, we thought, you know, this is kind of where we, the direction we want our program to go is to be a qual or NCAA tournament type team. And that's what we've been telling teams since we've got here is our goals are to win championships. Our goals are to win some league championship and be going to a regional every year. Um, and so to start this, that trend in year two is pretty special. And um, I think it also attests to the type of players that we have in our program to have bought in as early as they did. And to, you know, like you said, last year we were in the championship game and to this year, take it one step further. I think it attests to how hard they've worked and how much they've bought into what we want our program to look like. Chatting with Jen Darrow, UNO assistant softball coach here on Behind the Plate with Marin and Nate. All right, let's talk about the challenge ahead for uh, Mavs softball. You're facing a Louisiana team that, um, very well could have been a top 16 national seed. They'll be mm -hmm. playing more or less, um, maybe not a home game, but they'll be playing pretty close to their campus. What about that challenge and facing a Louisiana program that's used to this stage? Yeah, um, I think just obviously, like you said, they're used to the stage. They have that kind of experience. Uh, and they've played in those kind of facilities before, you know, they've played in facilities like LSU where they bring big home crowds, but um, so have we, I mean, we went down, we played at Texas, we played at Mississippi state. So um, we've tried to introduce ourselves to that kind of environment early in that kind of team. So, I mean, I think we're ready. I think we're ready to kind of show what we've worked uh, for all season, but um, definitely experience. I mean, they obviously have that on us a little bit. Well, Jim, we'll, uh, be keeping a close eye on the Mavs and and pulling for Omaha to make some noise down in the Baton Rouge Regional. Congratulations on breaking through for your first trip to the NCAAs and good luck uh, down on the bayou. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That's Jen Darrow, the assistant coach for UNO Softball and uh, the Mavs break through and make it to the NCAA tournament. You think about Mavs baseball. Um, they were competitive in a regional a few years ago up in, uh, or down in uh, Los Angeles. And, you know, we mentioned the tradition that Mavs softball has had historically, and, and perhaps that can carry over. That's going to be a tough regional, and uh, I know a lot of fun for them to compete in that uh, hostile environment. Yeah, and something about UNO going to Baton Rouge, it – I think it surprised a lot of people. And mm -hmm. and I think I, I texted a few people about it because we, I think, as reporters, probably thought they were going to end up in the same regional as Nebraska. Yep. And as the bracket was unveiled and we started seeing 
local teams being shipped across the country, I think quickly we realized that they met, that may not be the case, but for Omaha to end up in a, in a regional with a team like LSU who's hosted so many times has world series experience and then throw Louisiana into the mix. Holy moly. They've got a tall order. Yeah. Hey, it, and you got to think Louisiana is going to be hyper-focused. So it'll be a tough challenge for the Mavs, but we'll see what they have this week. The team that I think took the Mavs spot is UMBC. And we have a chance now to chat with uh, the receiver's head softball coach, Chris Kuhlmeyer. And I think you're uh, out of practice right now, Coach. Uh, how's yeah, I am. Good morning. You guys ready to, to get some work in today? Yeah, we are. We got Monday's is a terrible class schedule day for us. I just had a uh, few of my kids that didn't have class, you know, come out and get some hitting in so we can get ready for Oklahoma State and let you know potentially what we're going to see from those guys. The music is great. Let me tell you. Sorry, but yeah, I know there. There's a few out there still out there hitting BP. We 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 don't have music on while we're doing BP. They're not. Doesn't seem like they focus very well on today. So. <laughs> So this is a new territory for you because you've been shipped out west before. And so what are your thoughts on going to Stillwater and and how you're going to compete with a team like Oklahoma State? Well, I, it's it's pretty awesome to be shipped to Stillwater. I mean, we were in Oklahoma a few years ago. Um, you know, glad we didn't get shipped there again. That, would, that was fantastic. Um, glad we took UNO's spot. Uh, from them potentially, you know, but you know, so we could be there. But it's an honor. We we're excited about it. I know our girls were all over the map uh, trying to guess where we were going beforehand, and you know, only one person was thinking potentially Stillwater, and that was me. Uh, that where they could potentially fall at. So it's very exciting. We're uh, you know, someplace new for us, and I think you know, just kind of looking at pre preliminarily, I can't say that word right. Apparently, um, you know. Yeah, it's going to be a very tough region for us, you know, as they all are. Um, but I feel pretty confident about us right now. It's the best team we've had, most experience we've team we've had in a regional so far in my, you know, my time here and everything. And these girls know what to expect. They're built for May, built for, you know, to get through the American East and get through the tournament. And they're all excited to get out there and, you know, go out there and, you know, not only just compete, but like, let's see what we can do to get to Sunday and give ourselves a chance to win a regional. Chatting with Chris Kuhlmeyer, the head coach of UMBC Softball. They are in the Stillwater Regional uh, and will take on Oklahoma State in the first round of the tournament. Uh, you talk about what your program has done, that you've won the America East the last four years. Uh, but you guys were eight and nine uh, about a month into the season. What did your team take from that tough start, and how has your team grown since then? Uh, yeah, we did have a little bit of a rough start. We we were experiencing some injuries, you know, experiencing some things internally just with confidence and, um, you know, just in the adjustment of losing a lot of, like, we did have a lot of leadership from last year that, you know, graduated. So it's, a, you know, again, a brand new team and learning to play with each other still, even though we had a little bit of a fall, we didn't, you know, we still were trying to get through those growing pains with a new season, with a new team and everything. And, you know, we talked after we got through the Penn State stretch where we lost, we were eight and nine, like you said, and um, telling them how much we, you know, we prepare for May 
and that this is nothing compared to what we're going to be in a month. And it, where we're in the month is still building and climbing to be able to be in the spot, to be in the top two seeds in our tournament so we can get the first round by. You guys are going to be in a great position to continue to dominate this conference and to dominate that tournament. And you can just tell that as time went on, we started playing a little bit better. We started seeing kind of our lineup was going to look like from the batting, you know, standpoint to about on the field as well. Um, and it just kept, we just kept rolling and rolling and building confidence all the way through. And once late April got here, you can just see that they were locked in and focused. Like we, I just, honestly, I knew we weren't going to lose a single game in the conference tournament and cause they were that locked in and they just know May's when we shine We're built for May and built to win in this, you know, this time of the year. You talk about being built for May and I think you have a player who is built for this stage in Courtney Coppersmith. And that's a name that we've all been talking about for a few years now. Um, how important was it for her to come back for her extra year and be able to help carry your team to this point? Yeah, I know people in the American East were not happy that uh, Corey Coppersmith was coming back. They thought we were trying to do some kind of shady stuff sometimes, I think. But no, it was extremely important. When you have a generational kid like Courtney Coppersmith, a power lefty pitcher, you know, that's also a phenomenal center fielder who can hit and run, still bases for you and all that stuff. You know, you could just, anytime you can keep her for as long as you can, no matter where, you know, you know, where you're at, it's a, it's a godsend. And, um, you know, just her coming back definitely helped get us where we were at. She actually started off slow. She was injured for the ball and then started off really slow, just trying to work her way back. And she's not, she hasn't, she probably wasn't even Pete Courtney until about the last two to three weeks of the conference season and uh, going into the conference tournament. So she's, She's feeling good. She's ready to go and ready to, you know, for this challenge ahead of her. Now, Courtney uh, uh, is one of two pitchers for your team. Uh, the other one's Kaya Matter, and uh, she had a great freshman year last year. She clearly built on it with a very good sophomore year, 13-5, and five, 177 ERA. Kind of comparing contrast Matter and Coppers. Yeah, and so Kaya, yeah, from the you know also this year too was a little injured as well, banged up. So she's just started to get her, get her legs back under her the last you know couple you know three to four weeks of the season as well. Um, comparing and contrasting those two, like they both do a lot of similar things. They, you know, she may Kaya may not throw maybe as hard or throw, she throws from the right side. She has maybe a couple of different pitches that Courtney doesn't have that she utilizes. You know, of like having an explosive rise. But she also has a devastating changeup, and it's one of those things that, you know, when we have a team that's just a, that can be exposed by that, we just we know we're going to put her out there to them, and she's going to dominate their lineup like she did in the conference tournament against Albany. And um, she is a – you want to talk about somebody that's a bulldog in the mound and has that mentality, that's Kaya. She wants to say, give me the damn ball all the time, even over Cordy. She, like, looks at Cordy all the time. like, I want to break your freaking records. I want to say, what you got? And everything, and they have a great relationship. And um, you know, it, it's a blessing to have both of them. It's a blessing to have Kaya as a sophomore to bend around Cordy for two years, and try to just kind of see what she does and learn from her, and be able to take on that mentality to be the leader of the bullpen from here on out after Cordy leaves. You have experience just as a coach playing in this tournament with several programs, right? You've been on staff at at, I mean LSU, like all the way all the way to now, but how do you take your experiences in the tournament to help some of your girls who don't have this experience? 
Yeah, it's with one of those things we haven't necessarily talked about with the young kids yet. I actually have two of them sitting out here in front of me right now, Shaggy Falls. It just makes me laugh looking at these guys, the how you know how much fun they're having. Um, you know, they we just haven't had that conversation yet, but you know, we but one of the things that we talked about back in August, you know, is the focus to get to May, the work they have to do to get to May, and then not just settling for winning an American East Championship. And it's kind of one of those things that we haven't talked about all the time, but we bring it up every once in a while so they know and aware. And every single year that we've been in this, and I've been in it, I've become a better coach. I learned new strategies from some, you know, to get some of the best coaches out there. And our team learns. Like every year we've done, like every single year done better and better and better and built and gained that experience to where the stage for these, for the kids that, were there last year, the year before, even some of them like Courtney and Carly Keating, who have been here for every single one of them, you know, they have the understanding and know what it takes. The stage doesn't get too big for them. The spotlight never gets too big for them. And they're able to, you know, share that with these young kids and help them get through it. Now, the nerves are going to be there, obviously, after, you know, that first inning, first couple innings. But I think well, once we kind of get going in the game, you'll see, a, you know, confident, loose team that's hopefully can get out there and be able to go toe-to-toe with Oklahoma State when we get there. You talk about facing off with Oklahoma State. That's a that's a tight ballpark and, and can be a hostile atmosphere. How, how does your team manage that? Well, we already kind of talked about it a little bit. Um, I mentioned to him, like, I played there several times before with about a 1,000 people in uh, the outfield and in the stands and all that stuff. And I'm just like, listen, it's – they're going to you're they're going to be hollering at you. They're going to be nasty a little bit. It's it's a fun environment. Just laugh it off, you know. Enjoy it because it's it's this is what playing on this stage you know is all about. It's like having these experiences, be able to play in front of the crowd like this and having fun with it, and you know be able to go to toe to toe with people you know that against teams that people don't think you can beat and who you don't think you can um, compete with. So they're um. Like I said, I think you know for a little for a little while, I think it might be a little big for them, but they'll they'll settle in and they'll be ready to rock. Well, I'm excited to watch you guys. I'm always excited to watch you. Um, but I just wish you the best of luck, and I thank you so much for taking time to, in the middle of practice, to hop on with us. Absolutely, it's always good to see you, bud. Thanks so much, Chris, uh, Coach Kuhlmeyer. We appreciate you giving us some time, and uh, we'll see you down in uh, Stillwater for the NCAA Regionals. You Fun time. See. Man. Hey, if one athletic department knows how to upset people <laughs> in an NCAA tournament despite not having the seeds, it's, it's the, the Retrievers. Absolutely. So we shall see if the uh, softball program is able to uh, to follow in the footsteps of men's hoops and pull off a, a pretty substantial upset. Well, we've chatted with three guests, but, I, you know, we've not really gotten into uh, the Stillwater Regional. What what are your feelings about uh, what awaits Nebraska? The Huskers will play Wichita State mm-hmm. in the first round. The Shockers beat the Huskers twice in Wichita. Uh, Oklahoma State and UMBC, as we mentioned, uh, the other the other matchup in that regional. What are your impressions of the Stillwater region? Yeah, for me, I see an Oklahoma State team who's lost 11 of their last 13 games. I think that's the one that stands out the most. 
uh, especially since they've recently were swept by Texas. Mm -hmm. They lost to Kansas in the Big 12 tournament, which was mind-boggling to me. Uh, but so they're struggling. Yet they were rewarded with a six seed, and for yeah. their overall season, the overall body of work, right? Yeah. Um, but they're struggling, and I think it's an opportunity for a team like UMBC to come in and expose their struggles. Sure. As far as Nebraska goes, the two teams in this con- in this regional, Oklahoma State and Wichita, they were over. They were own four against this year, mm-hmm. and. Aside from that one three to one game against Oklahoma State, they I know they lost to Wichita ten to eight, but that game wasn't close until the end, right? right. There was weather, there all of the elements were involved, but I f- feel like this season specifically, Nebraska struggled with these teams, mm-hmm. and not to mention UMBC has a pitcher with a devastating changeup. Um, that's a weakness of Nebraska, certainly. So, Nebraska, I know it's hard to beat a team three times. Yeah. And it's cliche, I know. <laughs> but both of these teams, this Oklahoma State Cowgirl team, the the Shockers, have got to try to beat Nebraska three times, which is hard to do. Yeah. I, I think it's a very even regional, especially with those top three. And, you know, it's just tough to get a, a handle on where UMBC is. Uh, in relation to the other three teams, because, I mean, the America East Conference uh, is a very small conference. But uh, as far as the the top three teams in the regional, um, Wichita State gets upset in the American Athletic Conference tournament. That doesn't really trouble me. I mean, they won the regular season. It's tough to get up again in a conference tournament. I will say Nebraska plays much better against Wichita State away from Wichita. Wichita has dominated the Huskers in Wichita. But away from there, Nebraska has, has played them much better. So I'm not as as worried about what Wichita was able to do the first the first two matchups. Now, make no mistake, Wichita is very good. I mean, the lineup is still there. I I think that's going to be a highly compelling first-round game. And Oklahoma State's struggles are real. And I just don't know if they can get themselves back on track. And, and really, in the heat of an NCAA tournament, that's not the ideal scenario to try and get yourself back on track with the pressure, with the big crowds, with everything else. So, you know, I think, any of those three teams can win the regional with the idea that maybe UMBC makes a surprise run as well. I mean, the fact that they've got two pitchers who are pretty high level, it makes them a, a little more compelling than normal. The fact that they've been to regionals uh, the last four, the last four NCAA tournaments, uh, that's compelling. So I just think it's going to be a very even regional Um and very hard-fought regional, and, uh, you know, Wichita State is a, a pretty compelling number two seed to win a regional. I think most people are favoring Central Arkansas to win the Tuscaloosa regional, but I think the the next 
most picked number two seed to win a regional is Wichita State uh, by dint of the fact that they bit that they beat Oklahoma State and Nebraska this year. I will say, don't sleep on the Huskers in this region, and and uh, that might be a little homerish, but I I think Nebraska's played Wichita State pretty well away from Wichita. Uh, they know them well. Like you said, it's tough to beat a team three times. So I I give the Huskers about a, as good a chance to win this regional as I've as I've given them in in some time. And of course. Uh, they've got to get through two teams that they haven't beaten, but uh, I think Oklahoma State struggles and the familiarity with Wichita State gives Nebraska an opportunity. Yeah, and we're looking at Courtney Wallace well rested. Yep, we saw what a what a well rested Courtney Wallace looks like in the first game of the Big Ten tournament. Mm-hmm. Sixty five pitches was all it took. Yeah, for seven innings. That's that's the Courtney Wallace that I think we should expect to see. Maybe expect is too much pressure. Certainly hope to but see. But hope to see that Courtney Wallace makes that her appearance against Wichita to open up the tournament. But overall, I, I think I agree with you. I think this is a very winnable regional. Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at the teams that are in it, I mean, Wichita maybe is the favorite. Sydney McKinney is arguably the best player in college softball. Mm-hmm. And Oklahoma State struggling. Yeah, I, I just, I, you know, you don't want to write Oklahoma State off in their home ballpark. And, you know, sometimes you see it where a team gets the zero and zero of, of uh, the NCAA tournament. But you, you, might have seen that effect last week in the conference tournament and Oklahoma State was one and done against a not very good team so I you know the Cowgirls look vulnerable now whether or not getting the NCAA tournament flips their switch we'll see but yeah this is going to be a very interesting regional a tough regional to pick like you said, I, I think Wichita State is a sexy pick for a lot of people. Um, but, you know, like I said, I, I give Nebraska a pretty fair shot in this regional. So going to be very interesting Friday night. The Huskers in Stillwater against Wichita State after Oklahoma State and UMBC square off in the first game of the first round. Well, we had a jam-packed behind the plate. It it was pretty full behind the plate today. (laughs) Our our thanks to our guests, Sammy Nettling, the analyst for the Big Ten Network and a former uh, Northwestern Wildcat, Jen Darrow, the assistant coach for Omaha's. The Mavs prepare for their first D1 NCAA bid. And Chris Kuhlmeyer, the head coach of the Maryland-Baltimore County Retrievers. He's taking his team down to Stillwater as the number four seed. We thank you for listening and for Marin Marin Angus Combs, Nate Rohr saying so long for now. We'll talk about the regionals next week.